I think there are some common expressions that we all use from time to time with regard to the mind that describes for us the thinking of the individual at that particular time. The expression sometimes is used amongst Christian people that somebody is worldly minded. In other words, they have their affections on things below, not on things above. It is time, not eternity, that predominates their thinking. And then in contrast, sometimes we talk about those that are heavenly minded. And what is meant by this is that they live their lives with eternity in view. Would that we all were truly heavenly minded. And of course the inverse of that is true. That there are some people so heavenly minded they're no earthly use. Because they couldn't see anything practical to be done even as to hit them up the face. That's not to say you, you cannot be too spiritual. But you can't pretend to be so spiritual that you avoid all of the practical responsibilities of home and church and community. So another expression that is used amongst Christian people is being missionary minded. And I think you've all heard that expression from time to time. So what in reality does it really mean when it's said of the individual Christian and even the collective gathering of the Lord's people in a local congregation that they are missionary minded. That was something that really struck me uh, in the visit to Kenya. The book of Proverbs in Proverbs 23.7 says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Whatever you're thinking today, that's who you really are. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? Whatever you're thinking today, that's who you really are. As he thinketh in his heart, so is he. How we think controls who we are, what we do, what we aspire to do. What predominates our thinking will predominate our lives. If you are earthly minded, that's where you'll be. If you're heavenly minded, that's where you'll be. If you're missionary minded, well, that's where we want you to be. As a man thinketh, as a church thinketh, so they will be. I wanted to be said concerning and along a congregation and the individuals within it that they're missionary minded. A missionary minded church will always be a blessed church. And so the question really is raised today in the light of the visit to Kenya. How then can we be a missionary-minded congregation? What sets us apart to be a missionary-minded congregation? Well, part of the answer is seen in this first missionary congregation at Antioch in Syria. This was the centre of the whole work of God in that great nation of Syria. Isn't it sobering to think Syria, with all of its civil war, with all of its strife, was the first place that the first missionaries were sent out with the gospel of redeeming grace. And we're glad today to say, even though they have been persecuted, even though they have been dispersed, there still is an evangelical witness in Syria to this very present day. The church is still there. Syria had a great city called Antioch. We're told it was the third largest in the Roman Empire. And God planted a church in it. 
And God gathered like-minded people in that congregation amidst all of the heathenism of Rome, amidst all of the paganism that surrounded them. There was a people called out for the Lord in Antioch of Syria, and there they proclaimed the name of the Lord. And not only did they proclaim the name of the Lord, they wanted to spread that name amongst the nations of the world. It always challenges me that the first missionaries were sent from Antioch and Syria, not from Jerusalem. And so from the mother church went teachers, but from Antioch and Syria went those first appointed missionaries. And so if you want to be a missionary-minded church, you can look no further and no more instructively than the church at Antioch. So I think it will be to the good of the cause of Christ and on along and the cause of Christ abroad, if it can't be said about us that we are a missionary-minded church. So how can we go about that? Well, first of all, a missionary-minded church is a scripture-teaching church. It's a scriptural church that teaches the word of God. Look at verse 1. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers. That's pretty impressive, I think. Sometimes we think that missionary churches ought to be involved in great programs abroad. And they ought to be involved in great uh, plans for abroad. But you know, if you want to be a missionary-minded church here and on alone, we have to put the emphasis upon the teaching and the preaching of the word of the living God. Sometimes, I think amongst evangelical Christians, we have the tendency, as it were, as we say in Ulster, to put the cart before the horse. What drives, what drives everything in the church of Christ? It's the preaching of the word of God. Everything else comes behind it. If there are plans, if there are programs to help A, B, C, D, E, F, G, whatever it is, it is driven by the word of God. It is taken forward by the preaching of the word of the living God. Who were these prophets and teachers? Well, there was Barnabas. We've already been introduced to Barnabas. He was of the tribe of Levi. He was from the island of Cyprus. We know from other passages of scripture that he sold his land, not, not by compulsion, but he sold his land because he saw the great need of the early church and he brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. He had been sent to Antioch by the mother church at Jerusalem because they had heard of what was going on there. Many believed in the Lord in that place. These were new converts. What did they need? If you turn back to Acts 11, you'll find what they needed. Acts 11, 21 to 23. Acts 11, 21 it says the hand of the Lord was with him. That's this group in Antioch and Syria that had turned to the Lord. And a great number believed and turned on to the Lord. Then tidings of these things came on to the ears of the church which was at Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. Who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad. And exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. I love old Barnabas because he was an encourager. He was coming now amongst new converts, Gentile converts. Of course, he was a Jew. He was a Levite. He came with all the prejudices of the Jew and of the Levites. But he was a big, open-hearted man. 
And that big open-hearted Barnabas wanted to encourage even the youngest Christian just to go on with the Lord. And it tells us when he saw what was happening, he was glad. He didn't bemoan the fact that it wasn't happening down at Jerusalem. He just was glad that God was working and that God was moving. And when you and I hear of souls being saved, it doesn't have to be under the umbrella of the Free Presbyterian Church. We just are glad when sinners come to the Lord and trust him for salvation. And what did he do? He exhorted them all. He encouraged them all. That with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. And what more could I do any Sunday than what Barnabas did all of those years ago? Just encourage you to hold on to the Lord, to cleave on to the Lord, to be near to him, to trust in him, to lean on him and to go forward with him. That's all you have to do, believer. Just lean on him, rest on him and go on with him. That's what old Barnabas did with these new converts uh, in the, the city of Antioch. This leadership, they were missionary minded and the missionary minded leadership it, it filtered down to the ordinary members. You know, if the leadership, if the elders of the church are not missionary-minded, it'll be hard to convince the members to be missionary-minded. So it starts here at the leadership, the prophets and the teachers. How to cultivate a missionary-minded congregation. We think of Simeon here. That was called Niger. That just means black. You know, there are some parts of evangelical Christianity and they have black churches and white churches. They have churches for all different types of ethnic groups. And if you as a black person come into one of those churches, you would very, very much feel out of sorts. Well, God forbid that day would ever be here in Analog. God forbid it. Here was nature. He was one of the prophets and the teachers. He was a black man. We have Lucius of Cyrene. Who very probably was of the synagogue of the Cyrenians. And he was from North Africa. Probably another black man. I think, I, I think this is amazing. Those, that, that oversight of the church at Antioch. It, it had a, a preponderance of Africans in it. You know, the gospel had Africa long... The, 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 Africa had the gospel long before Europe had it. Long before Europe had it. Then we have Manian. Manian uh, was the boyhood companion of Herod. So he came from the highest strata of society. And I cannot fail to be impressed by this church. It was a Bible-believing, teaching church. And we can have all the programs of the day, all of the plans of the day, but nothing, nothing can take the place of the preaching and the teaching of the Word of the living God. And when this church was built, this big pulpit here was put in here for a reason. It was put in here for the reason to emphasize the, the dominance of the word of God week by week. We meet around God's word. And you'll never find a truly missionary church where the word of God is set aside or put to the side of the church. 
And so, regardless of what happens thereafter, the greatest missionary churches are those who keep with the scriptures of truth. Programs and planning are good, but of paramount importance is the preaching of the word of God. We've been called, brethren and sisters, not just to pay lip service to the good commission, to the great commission, but we've been called to implement it. Implement it here and on alone and implement the influence of it as far as we can to the uttermost parts of the world where we're able to go. Churches that do not stick with the scriptures at home, do you think they're going to stick with the scriptures when their members go abroad? I tell you not. I've met many people in my time in Kenya and they came with some of the, the wackiest ideas and those ideas just reflected the churches, the Pentecostal, charismatic type of churches that they came from back at home. If you want to plant something that's going to last, whether it be in Analong or whether it be in Africa, make sure it's the word of the living God, the seed of God's word that you're putting down. That's a missionary-minded church. A missionary-minded church is, secondly, a serving church. Because verse 2 tells us these men ministered to the Lord. They ministered to the Lord. And the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. There's a work for Jesus none but you can do. Believers who do not serve the Lord in their own home church, do you think they're suitable candidates for going abroad? They're not even suitable candidates for going up the road. If you can't serve God and on alone as a member of this congregation, don't talk to me about going abroad to serve the Lord somewhere else. It all starts local. It all starts local. You get involved in the work here. And then as you progress and as the Lord enables you locally, then you'll be enabled to go globally. Remember that incident in Mark's Gospel, chapter 5? I think it's one of the most insightful. Remember the man that Jesus had delivered from his possession of, of, of uh, demons? He was now a liberated man, and he wanted to go with Jesus wherever Jesus went. And we can understand all, all of the, the reasons behind that. He had been liberated. He had been delivered. And now he just wanted to give his life to Jesus. And wherever you go, Jesus, I want to go with you. But that's not what, how Jesus took it. In Mark 5 and 19, Jesus suffered him not. Jesus said, no, I don't want you to go with me. This is what you do. Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. Go home first. Tell your friends first. Work local first and then you can think global. Tell out my soul the glories of his word. Firm is his promise and his mercy sure. Tell out my soul the greatness of the Lord to children's children and forevermore. We're called to serve. The Lord Jesus is the great example he was called to serve. And you and I likewise are called to serve. And it doesn't matter what humble capacity it is. We're called to serve. 
Thirdly, a missionary minded church is a place where the Spirit speaks. We read in verse 2 the Holy Ghost saith, They ministered. Remember, verse 1 tells us they ministered the Word, and through the Word, the Holy Ghost was speaking, the Holy Ghost was moving, and we still believe in the speaking of the Spirit of God through the Word of God. Not wonderful. This holy book that we have in our hands today, that we hold in such high regard, God as it is, it is ministered and as it is preached, God the Holy Spirit speaks through it. And I can't see who God speaks to through this book, but I believe God speaks through the word. And if you want to hear a word from God, listen to the word of God. If you want to hear a word from the Lord, read the word of God. Because the, the Lord still speaks through this holy, precious word. We often sing those words, I am listening, Lord, to thee. What hast thou to say to me? Are you listening? If you're listening, you'll hear what he has to say to you. Above the voice of the preacher, we attend on to the voice of the Lord. We need the preached word. That's what we learned. I remember that catechism just before we left. That's what we learned. We need the word. But we need the spirit of God to apply the word. So we have the word, but we need the, the Holy Ghost to apply. Just look up again. Time's running away with us today. Question 31 in the shorter catechism. What it says, what is effectual calling? Well, effectual calling is the enlightening of the Spirit of God. It's the convincing of the Spirit of God. It's the enabling of the Spirit of God. This is how God works. The Spirit of God takes this word and he applies it. And that's why it really... Uh, Puts a warning down my back when I see churches leaving aside the word of God. They're, they're, they're no longer emphasizing the word of God. They, they've brought in all types of other things. Maybe legitimate in their own place. But the church is not the place for them. The Sabbath services are not the place for them. What's the place in the Sabbath service? It's the open Bible. It's the preached word of the living God. That the Holy Spirit uses. Let's not put human experience. Or let's not put singing or anything else. In the place of God's holy, precious and inspired word. A missionary minded church fourthly is a sending church. Now we're coming very close to the reality of it all. This church that was prospering, flourishing at Antioch, that knew the blessing of God, the Holy Ghost was moving in it, and he separated Saul and Barnabas for the work whereunto he had called them. Oh, what ramifications there are when we give over the, 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 the services to the preached word and to the work of the Spirit of God. And as we give over the service to the preached word and the work of the Spirit of God, God moves. God really works. And he speaks. And he asked the church at Antioch to give two of their best to missionary work. He didn't say, you stay at home. The church at home needs you. He, he, he said, no. You go. He called them individually and he called the church collectively and they had to release them in the Lord's name and they had to send them forth. Whilst in Kenya, 
traveling out, traveling back, I started to read uh, the life story. Amazing life story. The Golden Shore. I don't know where any of you have ever mastered this little book before, but it's a, it's a great read. Adoniram Judson. It's humbling to read. He was the son of a congregational minister in New England. He rebelled against God. He ran away from the months. He wanted to, he actually joined a, a, a theatrical group and he toured around uh, the country. But God laid hold upon him. God broke him. God brought him to himself. And he went into theological training and God called him. He called him whilst the congregationalists in New England didn't even have a mission board. And he called other young men to go with him. And of course those young men took out with them young wives. And I read and reread uh, what Adoniram wrote to his prospective father-in-law asking for the hand of his daughter in marriage. You see, it all comes, it's okay sending somebody else's daughter, somebody else's son to the mission field. But what happens when it's your daughter? What happens when it's your son? What will you say, dear parent, to that? Well, this dear man had to be faced up to it. Adoniram promptly sat down, it says, and wrote to Nancy's father. Nancy was about 17 years of age. He said, this is what he wrote. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring. To see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life. Whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean. To the fatal influence of the southern climate of India. To every kind of want and distress to degradation, insult, persecution, perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God? Can you consent to all this in the hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with the crown of righteousness brightened with the acclamations of praise which shall redound to her saviour from heathens saved through her means from eternal woe and despair. Oh, what a letter that must have been to John Hazeltine's eyes, Nancy's father. Many another father would have said, Judson, don't you come dear my house ever again. But he didn't. He left the choice to her. And whatever way she chose, he said he would he would support her and be with her. What a test. The church at Antioch was tested just like that. God laid hold of two of their best men, their best prophets and teachers. And what did the church do? They sent them forth with their blessing. There are those, of course, dear brethren and sisters today, and they want to bypass the local church. They want to bypass the church in its entirety. And we have today a plethora of parachurch ministries that are under nobody but themselves. 
And you will know me over the years. I have avoided such men and such groups. I believe in the church. I believe in the sending forth of missionaries from the church. And I believe it's our responsibility to send them. And we recognize our, not only our responsibility to send them, but to support them as they go. Fifthly, a missionary-minded church is a supplicating church. Look at verse 3. They prayed. They fasted. They prayed. And they sent them on their way. These believers were on praying ground. They prayed before they went. They prayed after they were gone. And Carrie's old analogy is ever true, isn't it? Before he left for India, he asked those that he left behind at home, you hold on to the ropes. I'll go down into the mine, but you hold on to the ropes in prayer. And those men, Fuller and those men who were on his board, they held on to the ropes until God called them to higher service for old Carrie. Again, as a church, we need to learn how to hold the ropes for others. Those that are training. Those that are in the work. Those that are serving God. I think all of our prayer meetings, whether before the service, the midweek service, during the service, they all should be characterized by supplications for those that are engaged in missionary work and in the Lord's service. Could we say, sixthly, a missionary church is a supporting church. Because verse 3 tells us that when the church sent Paul and Barnabas away, I don't believe they just went down to the shore or, or to the edge of the city and waved the, their hanky at them and said goodbye. It takes more than that. You can go to the martyrs at, at Easter and you can wave your hanky in the air, but it doesn't mean one thing. Not one thing. Provision has to be made for those that we're sending forth. Continual provision has to be made for those that are in the work as we support their labours for the Saviour. We just don't say to our, to our missionaries, uh, shake their hand and say, we're praying for you, brother, we're praying for you, sister. We'll see you in three years' time. We, we pray for them. We, we support them. Why? Because we're missionary-minded. How, how do you square, how, how does Anna Long square up to this biblical model of Acts chapter 13, verse 1 to 3? I do believe there is a genuine missionary spirit in our own congregation here. And I thank the Lord for that. I, I would to God that all who were in the congregation shared in it. I believe in the old-fashioned tithe and offering, but I also believe in the old-fashioned missionary tithe and offering. And I do thank you for your giving. I think this is something that we need to cultivate. It's something that we need to protect. We, we should never take it for granted. I, I go to Presbytery visitations and I, I, I hear the reports given from larger churches. And proportionally they give far, far less than the smaller churches do to missionary work. Why? Because they're looking after their own backyard. They have money in the bank. And inflation is eroding it away every day. And it's earning nothing for eternity. Whatever money on alone has, I want it to earn for eternity. And to make a difference. And as the older, I 
Some of you have heard. All of this before. The older folk. Perhaps it's like water of a duck's back to you today. But I just want to challenge you. In your thinking, how missionary minded are you? Because a missionary minded church is a true Bible believing church. From the youngest, we have to train them. And to the oldest, we need to challenge ourselves. We need to challenge our own hearts. What are we doing to help the Great Commission at home and abroad? At Judson's farewell, they, they sung a new hymn that was composed for the occasion. The parson of the, of the church in which the farewell was held wrote it himself. One of the verses goes like this. Go ye heralds of salvation, go and preach in heathen lands. Publish loud to every nation what the Lord of life commands. Go, ye sisters, their companions. Soothe their cares and wipe their tears. Angels shall in bright battalions guard your steps and guard your fears. We've been commanded to go. And the Lord sends his angels ahead of us to guard us and keep us in the way. Oh, may... We recommit ourselves to the Great Commission in and alone, in South Down, or wherever the Lord opens the door up for us. And may we be given grace as heralds of salvation to publish loud to every nation what the Lord of life commands. Let's please unite our hearts and pray.